It's an industry that I generally love. I have a passion for. I, I, I eat, sleep. I live for fitness. No, you need to be obsessed. You need to wake up, think about it. You need to go to bed, think about your clients, think about your progress, think about what you can do better. Genuinely, like, just be like patient and take your time. Like that, that is like, you've got to take it all in, in the right steps. You've got to nail what you do in person before you go and like. I don't like to talk about fear. The fears is usually something that makes your worries real. Welcome to the Coaching Ignited podcast. I'm your host, Alex Povey. It's great to have you here. This show is all about peeling back the curtain on what's going to help you build the fitness business you truly want. And each week we bring on a new guest to share their stories, insights, and strategies so you too can take action and apply what you learn. The podcast is released every Wednesday on all the major platforms, including Spotify and iTunes. So make sure you go give that a subscribe, guys. Now, if you're a personal trainer in a commercial gym with 500 plus members and you want to fast track your income growth and learn how to sign multiple new clients a week, reach out to me personally through Facebook or Instagram and just drop me a private message so we can get the conversation started and see if you could be a good fit for one of our programs. All the links to my social can be found in the show notes so you can connect with me there. Now let's get into this week's episode. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, so earlier this week, I was lucky enough to catch up with Andy Vinson out here and training Ibiza down by Pasha. And I wanted to get him on the show because he has got a wealth of experience when it comes to health, nutrition, and fitness. And Andy has got over 16 years of experience working as a personal trainer in London, Miami, New York, LA, and Ibiza where he currently resides. And he was also an elite PT at London's premier gym, Third Space, situated in Soho. So he recently left, moved out here to Ibiza, and uh, we met earlier this week and we spoke about some really good topics that I'd love um, for you guys to hear as well. And that's why I wanted to get him on the show because he has worked with some amazing people, some of the best conditioning coaches, performance coaches, bodybuilder and biomechanic specialist, and really excited for us to get into this episode. So let's go. Awesome. So sh we should be live now, Andy. want to welcome you onto the podcast. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. So uh, we were chatting the other day about all kinds of things over coffee and whilst we were training about the fitness industry and all kinds of cool little topics. And I thought it'd be a great idea to bring you onto the show today to really start to unpack some of those things um, and talk about the industry as a whole and your experience and what you do. But uh, for anyone listening who doesn't know who Andy Vincent is, can you give us a little bit of a snapshot into how you got into the industry, maybe why you got into the industry and uh, what it is that you do now? So yeah, thank you. So startup, my uh, I got into industry really through through chance. Like I, I wish I could sit here and say that I was uh, amazing sporting prowess, and it was off the back of that. But I played uh, recreational football, enjoyed it. I was like a half decent level, um, and I took an injury when I was nineteen, um, and then just happened to meet a, a Pilates teacher who was um, had gone through premier diploma um and he sort of introduced me into some really more pilates based style training and i'd only really done like just basic football training so i'd never really done any sort of strength work at all um and i was on a year out between deciding what i was going to do with uh, with going to uni or not um so i did the course loved it started doing some like one-on-one -on -one clients um and then really wanted to cut my teeth working in a gym so i started working at a, a commercial gym in the uk um, and then was there for a couple of years, mainly in classes, back, this is back in 2001, 2002. Um, and I was working outside of a major city. So for me, it wasn't necessarily a big, like there wasn't a lot of people doing personal training. It was very much seen as like a luxury. Um, and the sort of person that was personal training, myself included at the time, probably wasn't the most skilled at what I was doing. Um, I ended up going into uh, management and then didn't like it. So uh, requalified through NSAM, moved to London 2008, and that's really where I consider myself. My personal training career really started. Um, I moved to the third space in Soho. Uh, I worked alongside uh, Phil Learning, and it, meeting Phil was a kind of a, a game changer for me. Um, his experience, his knowledge was was mind blowing. So he mentored me for a few years, and then that really just started my thirst for knowledge. 
Um, and the third space, at the time, you could choose your bonus structure, could either be cash or education-based. So I just saved up, made sure I was hitting my targets, getting my bonuses, and then just studied and studied and studied and, and made sure I mentored or could be mentored by as many people in as many different fields from SSC, bodybuilding, um, Olympic weightlifting, nutritionists, physiotherapists, whoever I get near to spend some time with in shadow because I really felt the benefit in being around good coaches. Um, a lot of courses that I did were fantastic, but it wasn't until I was around the coaches that were implementing what they learned that I really felt that my, my game improved. So yeah, I spent sort of the last 10 years really just trying to um, um, learn as much as I can. Um, and then that brings me to present day really. What was the, um, the commercial gym you mentioned at the start? So kind of like the second little piece of your journey. What so it was David Lloyd. Was the, first, the first gym I went to was a, um, just a little, it was called Chris Lane Health, Tennis and Health Club. Um, it was at the standalone gym. And then uh, they were actually bought out by David Lloyd. So it was more of a natural transition to the new business as it came in. So David Lloyd was where I was at for, for sort of five years. So what was your experience working there? Were you literally on the the gym floor trying to generate clients actually i don't think david lloyd is set up that way now you actually are employed as a pt and then they give you the clients was that the same setup that they had when you were there or did you have to prospect yourself yeah and we prospect ourselves we had a uh, rob bill was um had just come in towards the end of the time that i was there and they'd started to change the structure ever so slightly um and they brought nsam in to do some of the um in-house education but when i was there it was just really, I was doing gym floor work. I was teaching a lot of classes. I went through the Les Mills um, process and started teaching RPM body pump. Um, and then really because I, the PT pay was quite low at the time, um, I just wanted to earn more so and get more experience working in the club. So that's why I moved into fitness management, which then moved into like, a, it's called a sports manager role. But I'll be the first to admit that it's not my, it was not my love. Um, I got by because people knew me from the gym floor. Um, but I very quickly kind of got to a point that I wasn't really enjoying it and it was a much more of an admin based job, um, which is then I was, which is why I sort of stepped back from it and thought, what, what do I really love doing training? What do I love the most one-on-one -on -one training, which wasn't really a big part of what I was doing at that point in time. Um, mm. which is then when I went through the NSAM, um, uh, level three and the corrective exercise specialist before moving to London. Was the classes that you did in David Lloyd really kind of helpful to set you up for success and give you that confidence in the early days? A hundred percent. Like my entire business at that point in time was generated from Group X. And it's one of those things I speak to young coaches these days that aren't probably that keen on Group X. But it's the one thing, if you're shy at all, it gets you out of your bubble quite quick. It exposes you to a huge volume of people that you wouldn't have exposure to as a one-on-one -on -one trainer. Um and it gets you started looking at multiple good people and how they move. And that's where you start to notice things. If you kind of just pay attention to how people move during the same exercise in the class, limb length, like all these things that start to kind of like, at the time I didn't even know it. It was just, I was looking at things going, that's interesting. Well, this person can't, can't get into that position where the person to their right can. And I was just observing multiple people. Whereas when you're with a client one-on-one, you're obviously limited to how many people you can affect. Hmm. So when you're in these classes, and the reason why I ask is because there'll be a lot of personal trainers listening to this. And one of the reasons why I set up this podcast was to help them find new ways of growing their businesses, expanding, increasing their client results. Um, and we talk about these classes being really fundamental for you in growing your business. Were you getting people just coming to you off the back of the classes because of the maybe branding or awareness that you'd built? Or were you actively prospecting in these classes for one-to-one -one clients too? And if so, what were you doing? It was kind of doing a bit of both. You would, you would originally start to try and fill the class. So you would always tell everyone on the gym floor what classes you were teaching, come to my my if it was like a ski circuit class or if we were doing like a circuit class in the sports hall or a spinning class whatever i'd go around at first and was just like trying to get the classes full um because anyone that's done group x knows it's not nice to teach like three people when actually when you've got 20 people in a class it, the, the vibe and the energy is so much better um and then from there it was a case of just we were coached anyway at the time to like if you do see obviously if, if someone's doing something repeatedly wrong or you, if you can start to build a rapport for me, it was never really a sales thing. It was a case of you would just notice something going slightly wrong with someone. So you'd go over there, you'd make a name, you'd get the name, I'd write the name down. 
because um, at the time it was old school, I'd have like pen and paper on a, uh, on a clipboard, write the name down, and then just make a point. If I knew I'd corrected something once, I would then purposely make sure I corrected the next thing I saw them do wrong. Um, and then say, hey, would you, do you fancy a session? We can go through some of this stuff. And like nine times out of 10, like you've not really sold anything to them. Um, they at the very least would take you up for maybe two or three sessions. And the reality is when someone's gone into two or three sessions with a coach, they're going to take you up. Uh, like most of the time they'll take you up for sessions. Mm. So basically what you're saying is leading with value and you're almost like subtly selling your expertise without overly pushing it on people, making corrections and just allowing them to see the expertise that you can offer if they wanted additional support and then they sign up for a couple of sessions and then you can build that rapport relationship and long-term working relationship with these people. 100%. Like even, even back then when person training wasn't like, in you think consider what you can charge now wasn't particularly expensive but it was always seen as a luxury so you had to, to show that you could add value to them um and my per- my personality isn't particularly hard sell anyway so i was always quite happy just to go in like remembering someone's name is always really big everyone knows that like you walk into a store or a shop you've been to before and someone remembers your name straight away that's a quick win so if you're not great with names which i wasn't i wrote them all down and wrote down something that i could recognize and remember from the person. So I had a big mm. list of things about people. Um, if you can just remember that you wrote down it was someone's birthday, like how was your son's birthday last week? Like that goes such a huge way on the gym floor to be able to then, okay, this person actually is interested in me. Um, and then you say, hey, how was that, that knee problem or that, that hip problem that we spoke about last time? Okay, it's not great. Well, do you mind if I showed you one more thing? So it was just sort of like building layers. So for me, note-taking was huge. I was always, and I do that in my sessions to this day. I like, I write a lot of notes about what my client said to me in the last session. Just so in that first five minutes, I'm doing phone rolling or something, I can be like, bang, 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 bang. And it just adds value to service because it feels much more personable rather than you being like, how's your weekend? Oh yeah, I told you I was doing this before. It's like, it doesn't, for me, it doesn't feel so professional. So kind of like one-on-one if, if you have to do that. So I always like to keep notes. And that, that stems back from those early days of David Lloyd um, through necessity because I wasn't great at remembering. So I had to start writing notes about it. Um, but what it did is it made people trust you. Um, so yeah. But it's showing that you actually care. Yeah. Fundamentally, it's about caring about the other person and genuinely being interested in other people. I think for anyone listening to this, a good book on the principles that you're speaking about um, which you probably have acquired naturally is um, how to win friends and influence people. Yeah. Haven't read it, but I've heard the title yet. Have, yeah. It's a classic, but it is about like genuinely being interested in the other person yeah. and listening to what they're saying and making a note of it. And then allowing that to help you build a deeper relationship with people. Cause like, let's face it, coaching and personal training is a very intimate service. Like you're working one-on-one with people um, you're working in groups as well, but it is a very intimate experience. And so you have to really spend time getting to know people, getting to understand them, their needs, um, the way they respond to coaching, their tendencies. You've really got to get under the skin of your clients in order to be able to get them results, right? Yeah, 100%. I mean, that's a really good point because um, you've got to learn a lot with a client of how you're going to get the best out of them. Some people just don't like being told and you have to kind of like talk them through it a certain way so they, how they're feeling certain exercises so they can make their own decisions based on how they feel. I've seen, and I've done it myself before, where I've kind of thought I've known what I wanted to tell someone to, to fix a certain problem, but gone about it probably a little bit to, you should do this, uh, whereas, and you just get a bit of a brick wall, whereas some clients, you need to handle them a certain way. So dealing, learning the behavioral um, start types of a client, it, you don't necessarily get that in a group session quite as quickly. But certainly in a one-on-one format, if you ever see a client withdraw from a conversation because you might have gone in with a... I see it all the time where PTs kind of... They've got so much knowledge they want to kind of help people so much, but they probably... They're a bit too lectury in the way they go about things. Um, whereas if you kind of let a client f- fall into a, a solution, because you've led them down the path to try and get them to the solution, but you had, didn't go in like full-on to try and explain exactly what you thought you could do. Because coaches as well, we often try and sound too sciencey. And the average person doesn't want to hear science. They don't want to, words like feel um, are really are really powerful to them. So kind of learning how the person is going to learn and respond to you is really important. Mm. And something, um, something we actually teach in the Online Trainers Federation is learning people's tendencies. So there's like four key tendencies, which are like a rebel, an upholder, an obliger, and a questioner. 
and everyone's got their own tendencies. You've got a mixture of tendencies, but um, everyone's got certain tendencies. And if you know what people's natural tendencies are, then it's very easy to coach them because you know how they'll respond to specific things you say. So you may notice with some of your clients that they ask loads and loads and loads and loads of questions. They're clearly a questioner and they need to know exactly what to do in order to take action. But others are just like upholders where if you give them a task, very simple, they will not want to fail on that task because they'll want to uphold to you that they're going to complete it. And so if you understand people's tendencies, you can change the way your training styles are to make sure that you get people's results. It was a game changer for me learning that because I figured out um, when working particularly with questioners, you can't just give them, um, you can't just give them like very blunt instructions. You've got to go a bit deeper. I noticed it with a client recently. I was just like, hey, do this, this, and this, and then do this, this, and this but they didn't grasp that the way I grasped it because I see it from a different lens. And so they came back with a load of questions and was like, why are they struggling with this? And then I was like, ah, they're a questioner. They understand it, but they want to ask a few more questions to make sure it's exactly the way it should be done before they take action on it. This is game changing when it comes to, to coaching for sure. Yeah, I am. Um, we were always, you were taught like how to, if someone was an auditory learner, if they were a visual learner, so do you do a, um, a demonstration? Do you talk them through it? But it's really interesting hearing the way that you put that because it, it takes it deeper into the personality type rather than just the, the way they learn. Um, and that's it. I mean, part of the job of coaching is knowing your stuff technically. Um, and we've all, every single trainer out there, if they've been in the game for a year or longer, they know someone that knows their stuff really well. We've all worked with them, but has one coaching style and that won't always cut it with different types of people. Um, so it's really, really powerful to learn as a coach. It's not just about what you know, because you can be the best coach in the world. You could have done all the courses, studied, read all the textbooks, but if you can't get the client to do what you're asking them to do, that knowledge is is useless and it's only you that actually gets to experience it and use it. So being able to adapt your coaching style per, per, per client um, is really powerful. And some people just naturally do it and don't ever just take courses and learn how to do this kind of stuff. They just are very intuitive in that way, which is fantastic. And if you're the sort of coach that you felt you maybe have one style, then it's definitely the sort of thing that you want to look into uh, because it's very good to educate yourself with sport and exercise science. Um, but ultimately you're a teacher so you need to learn how to get your message across other people mm. i want to dive into uh, third space in soho yeah fantastic my home for the last talk, years yeah talk to us about that what was that like that chapter of your life so it's been the most um it's been the most amazing journey for me i left uh six months ago and it was a really hard thing to leave i mean the industry standard is what 18 months two years that people stay uh, in a business, Third Space is a very unique company. Um, it's changed owners over the years, but ultimately the, the ethos around education has always been at the forefront of their training. Um, and they've been like some really great coaches have sort of graced the floors of Third Space. Um, and some of my mentors from so the first one would have been um, Phil Lerney, uh, then Ollie Foster, who was a men's health cover model. He came on board, Mikey Smith, who's a um, bodybuilding pro, a British champion. And then we've had uh, Gareth Cole and some other amazing uh, Olympic lifting coaches there. That's just to name a few of some brilliant athletes and, uh, and sports people along the way as well. So you're in the mix with, when you go there, um, I was really fortunate that I timing was on my side. I, I met the manager. In hindsight, looking back, I wasn't of the caliber of the coaches that were in there. Um, but luck's a big part of these things. And the second I walked in there, I then made it my life's work to make sure that I could um, I could stand shoulder to shoulder with these guys and, and hold my own. Um, and like I say, so education every month we used to have, because there was a medical center there, they'd have physiotherapists, um, uh, reflexologists come down, they would just do little presentations to the team. So, and it was, this is good, Kevin Lidlow, who, who's just left, he's a phenomenal physiotherapist. So. Just being in the presence of these guys and listening to them talk about, and, and the reality is as a, as a PT, sometimes it goes a little bit over your head when they start going into really detailed anatomy and physiology of, of ACLs, 
but it's just fascinating to know you've got that resource there and the beauty of it always was they were upstairs in the building so I could walk upstairs and be like hey I didn't actually understand that and you just could sit in on a session or if I had a client they would come down if they had the time and they would go through the sessions with you so that was always a huge like part of the business and it still is to this day uh, the medical center is still there with some fantastic pros um and then with more recently they built an in-house um, education I was, I was fortunate enough to be a part of that um my education at one point took me down the path of learning foot biomechanics with gary ward through his anatomy and motion um model which for me is probably the biggest uh change in my way i look at human movement um i was very much looking at it from an exercise standpoint so i would assess a squat i would assess assess a hinge pattern i would assess someone's ability to take the hand overhead and then from working with Gary, when you look at um, gait patterning, you start looking at movement sequencing. Um, they bring into play a lot of Thomas Myers um, anatomy trains and look at fascial slings. Um, but ultimately, like, move everything back to how you move through gait sequencing. So when you start to look at functional biomechanics, it's sort of, and by no means, when I'm, when I'm in a room with the anatomy motion guys, these guys blow me away. Like some of the knowledge in the room is, is fantastic. Um, I very much use that knowledge still within an SNC setting. Um, so because I started studying with Gary, I was able to teach um, other trainers how to do gait analysis, gait assessments, um, and then foot and hip um, assessments as well. So that was always really a big part of what kept me motivated was being in a room and able to uh, impart some knowledge to other PTs because PTs ask, great questions and they make you really challenge what you know about a subject. So when you walk into a room of good personal trainers and you're going to start talking about foot biomechanics, um, you've got to do your homework to make sure that you know things. So for me, it really cemented my knowledge in the areas that I was, was coaching in. Um, so I can speak much more confidently about that because, um, because I have been questioned so many times and it's, it's great to be asked by a student a question you don't know the answer because like you're definitely going to find out the answer for them and also next time that will be locked in so for me that was a real a real turning point a for my confidence being in a room because I coached big groups before but I'd not coached personal trainers um so I started with sort of smaller groups and they got bigger and bigger so um and then since then I've, I've spoke to much bigger groups than that so but it started really within the, the education system at third space Mm. It sounds like the perfect environment for, for growth because you're surrounded by all these people, all these great people, so much knowledge, so much insights, so much education that you can consume. Um, and it's not surprising that me and Dave, when, when we met you, were like, Andy knows so much. He just knows so much. Yeah, and it's, and it's almost like, how does he know so much about the subject? This is the thing with, I, as much as I enjoyed my time with David Lloyd, and there were some great coaches there looking back, like some really good coaches. Because the ethos wasn't necessarily based on education, it was just kind of like clean machines and make sure everyone's happy kind of thing. That was never really a big part of my um, day-to-day. Although I did always find it fascinating, like watching people. I just didn't necessarily know the courses at the time. It was really Paul Check, Charles Poliquin. It were really the only things out there. NSAM came on the scene. Whereas nowadays, there's so many courses. There's so much stuff that you can learn. Um, I speak to coaches who don't want to go into gyms and like learn on the gym floor because the pay is probably not quite as good and the hours aren't as great. But ultimately, if you can get yourself into a facility where there's good coaches around you, you're, you will just develop so much quicker than you will do by yourself. Um, being able to ask questions, and I do it all the time to people like I see an exercise used in an environment that I'm not used to seeing it and be like, hey, what does that have interest? What are you using that for? Um, that's that's how you learn. Um, so, and the third space to this day has um, they've, they've changed the education structure, but ultimately the ethos is the same. You you come in and and you've got to learn. It lights that fire if you're at all interested in like human movement and and educating yourself. It lights that fire under you. You're around people that when you're in the locker room, you're not talking about like gossip. You're talking about rotator cuff rehabs. Like it's the line of conversations is so different and the environment is so different. So, um, and the, you have exposure to coaches that you wouldn't be able to like sprint coaches and, and Olympic lifting coaches. So it's just, you're in there with so many different people, um, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. I mean, over the years we've had 
can't even think of what sports we've not actually had in there that someone's come in with expertise um and it's amazing because they'll come in they'll be able to do workshops and, and impart some knowledge even in things that i'm not like i'm never even going to use in my own practice like maybe boxing and that kind of stuff it's not stuff i do but it's great just to kind of like to listen and learn if you just take one thing away from any any seminar that you can bring into your own practice for me it's been valuable and for me more than anything else just being around passionate coaches that that for me is is huge if I'm ever feeling a little bit like flat and I want to get like inspired just being in a, in a room with, with 10 trainers geeking off about some particular subject you're like okay I feel I feel awesome again now and then you crack on with it because it can be a lonely job being a PT especially doing a large volume of sessions you're doing eight sessions a day which is what you can do especially if you're in a major city you're basically you by yourself and you go through you sort of churn through these numbers so it's great to be able to have a team of people that you feel like you're always learning and developing week on week mm. how long were you there for Andy 11 years in total um, 11 years yeah so we I was in fairness going to leave kind of three years ago until the education role um, came available um, they moved the structure to a tiering system where they had three tiers of trainer it's now two tiers of trainer um, so within the elite tier at third space you're able then to go off and do a more education and to coach within the education role if it's something that the the PT wants to do not all PTs want to get involved in in, in teaching uh, they just like doing their own thing and educating themselves to the best yeah. of their ability um, but yeah 11 years which obviously is very unusual and but in fairness is at third space Soho we've got a lot of coaches that have done 10 years plus which is very unique which it, it speaks so powerfully for the brand and for the business that you've got coaches that have been in the business for more than 10 years. So you've been there for over a decade and you've recently left. What made you decide that this was the time to leave? What was the catalyst um, for that? Catalyst really was, um, this is something I wanted to do. So moving to Ibiza has always been a, a dream of mine. Um, and I guess it's that thing you sit with clients, you talk about goals and, and following through on goals. And there's always been this thing at the back of my mind that, I had something that I always wanted to do and I haven't followed through on. Um, and I've seen in close family members the um, sort of like mental issues and, and depression when it comes to probably not following through your goals and having regrets in life. So I always knew my wife and I have spoken about this move for a long time. And when I moved into the third space um, elite role, I, it was on the card then. But because work was going so well and I was really enjoying that role, I didn't want to explore this. Um, I started doing online training so I could bring in a second revenue stream because I'd gone freelance because at the time when I was first at Third Space, I was employed by the business. Moving to the freelance model, um, I needed to then bring in more revenue streams. So I started doing online training and was, becoming, and was really enjoying doing online training. Um, so that kind of gave me the financial flexibility to be able to, to sort of break away. And for me as well, like London's been amazing, but I'm not a city boy. I, I grew up in like a little farming village in Hampshire. So um, as much as I didn't want to go to Hampshire and be back in a farm, I wanted to go somewhere that I loved. The sun was shining, um, but I could kind of, kind of have a quieter pace of life. Um, so, yeah, that was the catalyst really for us to come to Ibiza. So a new chapter and it is, it is lovely out here. We trained outside, which is not something you can often do in the UK unless you get like a glimpse of sunshine on a rarity. So obviously the, the lifestyle out here is nicer, but what attracted you to Ibiza specifically? Um, I guess deep down, I look at the hippie. I've been coming here for the last like <laughs> 15 years. I met my wife here um, back in the day when I was like, early 20s we used to come clubbing to Ibiza every summer met my wife here um and it's just always been my sort of like spiritual home when I land and I walk off a plane in Ibiza I just feel this sense of like belonging um and at first it was always the party scene but then when I got to like my my late 20s and moved to London um we started coming to Ibiza and the Balearics just like in the winter time um and it's just got a feel to it. Not everyone experiences that, but if you have that kind of like that feeling when you land in Ibiza, um, there's something really magical about the island um, and exploring the north of the island. So um, I'm not going to lie, it's kind of, it is the easiest option as far as places for my wife and I to come to because we know it so well and we've got friends here. It's not too far from home. Um, but ultimately, I've never been, never coached properly outside of the UK. I had a, a short period of time where I 
work with one particular client and travel with him. But ultimately, I've worked in Surrey and in London. So um, this is an amazing profession that you can do anywhere in the world. Um, and now with like, what you can do with remote training, you literally can do it anywhere in the world. So Ibiza really is the first like stop on this next journey of our life, which is going to be probably being based much more um, outside of the UK and just exploring, exploring training in different countries. Mm-hmm. So I know you've got your kind of like group sessions that me and David came down to the other day. Have you got um, like private clients that you work with at the moment, one-to-one? Like what's your setup here in Ibiza in terms of like your typical week working with clients? So it's just come through the summer period. So during the summer, I was really busy with um, summer. So just people that were coming on to holiday and wanted a couple of sessions. Going forward, that's not going to be what I want to do. It's not what I enjoy because it ends up just being like fitness-based sessions, which anyone can do. You don't need some of my experience to do those sort of sessions. Um, so I, I've been trying to position myself more to work with residents that actually live here. Um, so I do about 10 hours a week of one-on-one sessions. Then I've just started doing this two of these group sessions um, per week. And the reality is for me, that's probably enough to keep my finger um, sort of in one-on-one coaching. Um, and then I will be working, or I am now working pretty much like 80% remotely. Um, I've got some uh, ties still to, um, to London with Lululemon. Um, so how I foresee my, my next year or so is that I'll spend, uh, maybe five days every month back in, in the UK where I can do some of my, uh, some of my training with either previous clients or my online clients that, uh, have access to London. Can we talk about the, uh, the role with Lululemon? Cause you're an ambassador for Lululemon, right? Um, yeah. how did that come about? How did you find yourself in that position? So I, uh, one of the things I do an awful lot is I talk about sort of um, limb length and, and biomechanics as part of my, my coaching. And um, I was introduced to a lady that I, at, at the time I didn't know, I did, had no idea who she was at Lululemon. She was very tall and um, she'd been taught how to do a conventional deadlift off the floor, but she had very, very, very long femurs. So I was just sort of saying to her that like, no disrespect but you shouldn't be doing a conventional deadlift off the floor like if you've got a very long femur and shorter torso it's not really mechanically the best fit um so i moved her to a slightly elevated trap bar version and it just felt much better so we talked a lot about just um movement mechanics and her goal was to do um chin-ups and i've got a very systematic approach to doing chin-ups um so I was coaching her through this systematic approach to chin-ups. And then she was like, hey, look, I work for Lululemon. Would you, would you mind doing a talk for us at, um, at an event? So uh, this was Sweat Life two years ago. Uh, yeah, two years ago now, um, which is their big London fitness festival. They were like, we'd love you to do a talk. Call it what you want. Um, so I just did a talk called The Science for Strength Training, which was supposed to be for like 200 people. That's not as many chairs you could fit in this room, but we ended up with about 300 people like squeezed in, sat in the corridors, like stood at the sides. Um, it was ram packed. So it really showed that there was a, certainly within the female community, there's a thirst for understanding weight training and, and strength training. Um, and then off the back of that, they asked me to do a few more bits and pieces, like a book launch within the Regent Street store, um, did a talk on mental health. Um, and then um, very nicely, December last year, they asked me if I'd come on board and be an ambassador. So I'm an ambassador of the Regent Street store in, um, in central London, which is the flagship store. And I'm an ambassador with uh, five other incredible trainers. And Lululemon's a brand that really empowers, like, the way I look at fitness which is effectively there is no one way of doing this there is a lot of different ways um and it's amazing to be around great yoga teachers barrage boot camp instructors cycle instructors um so again it's another great way with that with Lululemon just to surround yourself um with great fit pros and in even more of a diverse um uh, kind of cross-section of this of this industry you meet people when I'm in and around the brand that I would never have even had exposure to at their space. So it's, it's developed me even more so in the last year or so. 
Is that how long you've been with them for for a year? December last year, so it's coming up to a year in December, and it's a two year ambassador role that you get. So, have you noticed from that um, partnership that it's opened a lot of doors for you in your business? Have you noticed that? It's certainly given me more exposure within the London sort of fitness scene. Um, the beauty of working at Third Space is I always had good exposure because it's right slap bang in the middle of Soho's and Media Hub. So you always had great exposure to um, Condé Nest and Hearst. So you could always be like in, like in the right for men's health, right for women's health. What Lou Lemon has done probably more so is give me exposure in the actual fitness scene itself in London. So being able to go into Barry's Bootcamp, uh, the Foundry, and, and all these other cool training facilities that I'd never really visited because I was in a bit of a bubble at Third Space. Um, and then with that, obviously, then the talks have then exposed me to more um, more talks on the back of that. So I then got to speak at Women's Health Live as well. Um, and then they have the summits, which is the big uh, European ambassador summit in Chamonix, where, again, you just meet more fit pros from all over Europe um, which just sort of grows your social network, but your social network in the sense of knowing other fitness professionals within the Lou Lemon um, uh, network. Got you. So we were talking the other day. I want to just change gears a second because we were sat down, we were having coffee after our training session with you. Um, and we were talking about kind of like the culture that we live in right now, where we're always looking for like immediate results, immediate gratification, immediate fat loss, drop 10 pounds in 10 days, or all this marketing noise that you hear where it's like a a PT or an online coach trying to up another person in terms of the speed of results. And we were talking about how that can actually be really bad for the consumer because they go on these crazy diets or they lose weight too quickly or it's not sustainable and it's not healthy. Uh, what would you say about that and your style of doing things when it comes to coaching clients? Yeah, I sort of learned the hard way with this. So um, when I first took on a, uh, a, a men's health 12-week uh, body transformation, and I'd never done a body transformation before, but like anything, like I knew enough to, to get started with the process, but I really hadn't taken into consideration sort of the mental factor, taking someone from their current nutrition, current training, um, current lifestyle, stress factors, and then just basically went straight in hardcore five times a week diet plan. Um, and then this particular one ended up just getting injured um, in the process. We had to delay it and then, and then pick it up again. And then from moving on from there, doing other ones where I think ultimately because there is so much pressure being that time frame, there that becomes an extra layer of stress so unless someone is literally doing has a very kind of like low stress job they're able to sleep recover probably haven't got children and they can just focus fully on the recovery component not just physically from training but mentally from the restrictions that are going to be in place from the diet um unless you've kind of done due diligence on on that sort of thing if you just go full in 12 weeks and expect that person to be able to physically mentally emotionally be able to keep up with it um it just ends up creating this is what we that conversation we had for me ends up creating a really bad really negative viewpoint when it comes to how to get results within fitness because people start to think they've got to be really suffering like painful sessions walking away like in pieces dietary restrictions that are imposed upon you so the person ends up thinking like well to get lean and you'll get results um to get lean, I basically got to be really punished. Whereas if you looked at it more from a, a three month, sorry, a six month to a year process, you can actually install long-term lasting tools into this person's repertoire that when they actually, they're in an environment where they're out for dinner or um, something happens, they can actually adjust to it. Whereas the person on a 12 week transformation just eats out of plastic containers the entire time and it's got an end date. So at the end, unless you've done some sort of management at the end of this and some sort of reverse dieting at the end of this to get them back up to their sustainable level of eating. Um, you end up at the end of the process, this person feels almost quite vulnerable because you've had so much coaching time and it ends and all of a sudden no one's there to guide them through that next chapter, um, which would they be managing their nutrition back to a point where they can eat 
more normally as they were previously. Um, so for me, it's it's a part of the industry I just don't touch anymore. As much as I talk about working with people for three months at a time, um, sort of telling someone they're going to get shredded in, in three months, for me personally, doesn't resonate so well because um, unless you're teaching them tools along the way and you're not just driving pressure on them to have to really be very restrictive because you need to teach people what are the factors in their life that get in their way, very individual to a working mum with two kids to a guy that works in a city. Um, they each have lifestyle factors, um, environmental factors that contribute to them not being able to stay on track. So really identifying those, but individualizing their skills to make sure they can deal with the stresses placed upon them. Whereas a diet plan just tells them to usually cook food at home and take it out with them. Well, that's probably not a sustainable way of eating for a mama with two kids or a guy who goes to work in a city every day. Um, teaching them how to shop at Pret near their, near, near their work, sustainable for the, like, for the long future. Things like that are much more powerful and it, you, people will get good results in 12 weeks, this, like, no doubt. And there's so many people out there and so many companies that build their entire business model around 12 weeks. Um, but for me, uh, as long as if you're not doing some sort of coaching of dealing with the aftermath of those 12 weeks, then you're going to have some problems with it. Mm. I think this is a big challenge though, for, um, a lot of coaches and personal trainers because they're competing with other people that are selling the sexy results, right? They're selling the big transformations and there's big brands that do it which we were talking about. And so like it is a tricky business because you want to build your own business, but maybe you don't want to do it at the expense of a consumer. And so you want to might, you want to do it in an ethical way where it's more of a longer term coaching um, relationship. But how do people deal with that? Knowing that they've got to compete against these sexy instant results when actually what's best for the client is longer term coaching solutions that last. I think then, testimonials are, are huge for that um i feel like as well there is a slight shift in the industry actually backpack backtrack a little bit um for me personally there are companies that do the 12-week programs really well so i let them do their 12-week programs and focus on being shredded there are so many other things that you can focus on um where you can maybe use more of your rounded skill set as a trainer rather than it just always be the physique end of the business um, we had this conversation about as you get a bit older, yeah, it's important to look good, but most people just want to feel good. If you can get someone from, I don't know, they wake up in the morning, they have a real kind of like fog over them and a real kind of like dark cloud and the energy just cascades in the afternoon and, and they're really struggling with their relationship at home and you can make changes in that chapter of their life and get them lean along the process. Like that is such a more rewarding way to align your business. The 12-week programming will always be there. And this is going to sound, this might sound uh, arrogant, but I actually kind of consider the 12-week transformation end to be the easy end of it because you're just churning out diet plans. You're just churning out weight. You're like strength training programs. That's not necessarily that challenging to do as a trainer. Um, so if you've educated yourself and you're interested in, in human beings, helping people become pain-free, all these other amazing things that you can do within this fantastic realm within fitness, um, position yourself aligned with what you are actually passionate about. And if you are passionate about getting people shredded, great, then, then that is what you, what you do. Um, I'm passionate about making people move better, be pain-free, feel more confident in their body. Um, so for me, I, I align myself with that end of the business. And there's some amazing coaches doing amazing things within this field as well. Um, but it's probably not quite as noisy a field as the, uh, the get shredded in 12 weeks. Um, so for any coach, I think really just kind of like establishing what you have enjoyed the most with your coaches so far. What do you really enjoy coaching people to do? I've always preferred coaching um, movement patterns and really diving into how to make a, a squat more hip dominant or more knee dominant, how to make someone do a squat and not feel anterior knee pain. Like for me, that was always where I get my kicks, like tiny little positionings and, and coaching cues where I could get someone to, hey, actually that feels pain-free, cool. For me, that's, that was what gives me a buzz. 
getting someone lean yeah that's obviously that's a really nice thing to do along the journey um but i like to think that my clients when they leave me have been educated to then go off and do this stuff by themselves um mm. whereas when you end up doing a 12-week transformation you might end up leaving someone with load of hormonal cask problems like energy issues so within three months time they're probably going to need you again to go through the same horrendous program um so yeah i just feel like as much as if you want to walk into that that world you're going to be in there with a lot of people doing it for a long period of time um as long as you're true to is, is that's your core belief as a trainer that you want to do that great then then go into that business um but if you think actually no, i prefer working with pre-postnatal i prefer working with people with depression then then that's where you you align your business you alluded to uh something before when we were speaking about um like your body being your business card yes yeah yeah and uh <laughs> i can imagine there's a lot of stress that comes with that because you almost feel pressured in this industry to look a certain way right particularly if you're selling the 12 week shred programs you've got to practice what you preach it would be interesting to hear from your perspective um like your experience of dealing with the pressures of that and i'm sure it's changed as you've gotten older and you've got more comfortable with who you are what you do and the value you have and it's not just about how you look there's much more to it but yeah i'd love to to, to dive into how you thought about this before and how you think about that now in terms of how you look and how you show up to the world and, and the people that you coach yeah, but it's, it's so I'm now almost 40, so and I've been doing this since I was 20, 21. Um, so obviously, my my focus, having said all, all what I just said, I was a very different person when I was 20 to 25, 25 to 30, 30 to now. Um, so yeah, definitely, when I first started getting into the industry, there was this huge pressure to stay, stay lean, and that pressure is nowhere near what it is today because because it's just way more visual part of, I used to see like cover magazines uh, cover models in front of magazines whereas you can be seeing that stuff on your phone every single day um but ultimately I guess the most powerful thing for me is actually being around very good physiques being around physique models who for me were just in the most fantastic shape ever but they just weren't happy then they they seemed like deeply deeply troubled by the very smallest things that they could pick faults in their own body and I was like wow well you're in that amazing shape but you're still not happy whereas when are you ever happy if physique is the only thing you're ever striving for because there's always gonna be someone in better shape than you like regardless and even if there's probably not like in your eyes in your head if you've got yourself to that level of physique you're probably still quite critical of your own physique um so at some point in time, I think for me, it was around sort of like early 30s where I was doing a lot of hypertrophy training um, and I was getting quite a lot of joint pain from just the high volume sessions, high frequency sessions. Um, and I actually started doing strongman training, um, which was just for me a real revelation just because a lot of that bodybuilding strength just had no transfer to tire flips and to to working with kegs and atlas stones um and all of a sudden i saw strength as a much more powerful component of what i was doing and then i started to really enjoy my kind of key lifts so my deadlift my squat my bench my chins and then just getting as brutally strong as i could and then i just sort of relaxed my focus point on being super lean all the time because the problem with being super lean is you're usually undernourished to get that lean so actually it negatively affects your performance in the gym and you don't really know it until you start to really go up with the energy consumption that you start to consume and all of a sudden you're in the gym and you're doing things you could never do before um but then you just get kind of happy with you know what i'm much much stronger my body's way more resilient because i'm not doing isolation work which at the time for me was crushing my joints and killing my tendons um I'm doing things that's just much more enjoyable. And for me, it just, it, it gave me this like mental break because I was always very, and it's, I still have it within me now. Like, don't get me wrong. It's not like I don't question my physique. Um, I just don't be, I'm nowhere near as critical as I was in my, in my early twenties. Um, I'm much more focused on how strong I am, how I feel when I wake up in the morning. Um, 
from my studying with Gary Ward, my mobility has now become probably one of the biggest factors in what I enjoy. I enjoy my joints feeling free and open. I enjoy the feeling of going for a run and not having any pain in my body. But I also enjoy this feeling of picking up two times body weight, 2.5 times body weight deadlifts at the same time, but then also not feel like that's crushing my body in the process. Um, so for me, training was really what gave me the, the break from physique and made me think much more about strength. Um, and that's what I try and impart on all my clients is it's really, it's great just to follow numbers on a spreadsheet and just watch yourself get super, super strong. And then just forget like your physique will change in that process. If you just focus on getting stronger, improving your technique with a chin up and improving your technique in a handstand, like that will all lead to like physique changes, but um, it's way more manageable. It's way more measurable um, because if you've ever been around a physique model, you'll notice that their physique will ebb and flow based on, one high carb meal or one high sodium meal like there's changes in your body can happen overnight so if you allow yourself to negatively be affected by those changes then you can have those negative effects every single day of your life whereas when you're just getting brutally strong in the gym and improving your technique at some particular component of exercise then you stay much more motivated mm. I love that. That's going to be a great way to uh, wrap up this show. Just want to say thank you so much, Andy, for taking the time to do this. It's been an awesome chat. Yeah, my pleasure. So for anyone listening um, who wanted to find out more about what you do and where you hang out, where can they find you, Andy? Well, it's fight to beef, I'm afraid. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I'm online. My um, Instagram is andyvincentpt. Um, and my website is uh, andvincentpt.com. Very original for my uh, my business name. Um, nice. Yeah, and I post on there very regularly. Um, and I've got a, a, a wicked website. Awesome. Go check them out, guys. Really appreciate you, Andy. And uh, yeah, enjoy the rest of your day in Ibiza. Thank you very much. Catch up soon. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did enjoy it, I'd be really grateful if you could leave a short review on one of the platforms. And if you're a personal trainer in a commercial gym with 500 plus members and you want to fast track your income growth and learn how to sign multiple new clients a week, reach out to me personally through Facebook or Instagram and just drop me a private message so we can get the conversation started and see if you could be a good fit for one of our programs. All the links to my social can be found in the show notes so we can connect there. See you next week.